Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. It is a sunny Friday in early October here in Seattle and uh, absolutely loving it. We're getting some some cold weather, which I like. And then today is actually sunny with cold weather, which is my favorite. It means I should probably move out to Colorado if, if, the, if that's what I'm looking for. But today's a good day because we got Peter Eberhart with us from Eberhart Capital. He is a BMX writer turned uh, multifamily investor, which is a great... I'm sure there's a good story in there. So on that note, uh, or Peter, thank you very much for hopping on the show. I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, let us know how'd you get started in real estate. Hey, Gabe. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm down here in sunny San Diego. I know that our winters are going to be not quite as brutal as you guys are stepping into up there. But um, I would say the quick, short and dirty story of how I got into real estate was very unintentional over the years. I bought my first condo with the sole intention of uh, basically, you know, hedging my living costs here in San Diego and trying to get a little bit more secure because all I wanted to do was race more. That was my one track mind for about 10 years of my life. And so bought a condo, did that whole thing, uh, achieved my goals and why I moved down here to San Diego in the first place. And then one night I was coming home from Uber driving. I did a lot of Uber. That's how I bought my first condo. And oh, wow. my neighbors had all their stuff out on the front lawn. And it was late o'clock at night. I was kind of curious, like, Hey, what's going on guys? Um, you know, cause I liked them. Right. And I didn't want anything to go wrong. And so they're all, oh, we're, we're moving to Oklahoma. And I'm like, right now, like, yeah, yep. You know, husband's <laughs> getting the U-Haul get truck. Out of here. <laughs> yeah. Husband's getting the U-Haul truck. And by tomorrow morning, we're going to be out. And I'm like, that's super random. Okay. Let me help you. So I'm being nosy, right. As any good neighbor should. And I was asking them, so how much do you list in your place for? Because it was directly across the hall from my unit, you know, identical layout. And they told me a number that was, I, I want to say it was between like 70 to 80 grand more than what I had purchased my condo for like three years prior. Mm. And I'm coming from a, a very low wage, you know, job in the bicycle industry. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way that my condo has gained about 20,000 value every year for the last three years. So Went and I fact-checked it and 24 hours later, I was like, holy cow, there's something here. And I just dove all in, just went straight to being obsessed with studying bigger pockets, podcasts, you name it. And I think it was within a space of about three months, I was in Ohio looking at single family homes to purchase. Um, that didn't quite make sense to me or didn't work out for me. So I resetted my focus, came back to California, Ended up buying a four unit here in Central California as my first deal. And that's just kind of how I got started. So I always wonder like, man, what if I didn't come home that night and see my neighbors moving out on the front lawn? Like I just, it's one of those things in life, you know, you just have no idea. Yeah. A lot of life comes down to serendipity of you being in the right place, right time, yeah. talking to the right person, yeah. getting that motivation. Um, that's a cool story though. And so you, uh, you financed your first acquisition, well, your home, your condo, and just through BMX racing and uh, and your Uber job? So 100% through Uber. Well, I guess I had a regular W-2 there as well. But so the nitty gritty of it was I was probably about 
I want to say 20 grand in credit card debt from racing and just from trying to live life here in San Diego. I was about 20 grand in credit card debt when I made this decision of like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a condo. It's going to be a two bed. Well, it's going to be a three bedroom. I'm going to have two roommates. They're going to pay for my mortgage. That'll allow me to have more money to train and race. And I don't have to work so much overtime. And so that was a, that was my plan. Um, Uber and Lyft were just becoming, uh, they were just merging in the industry here in San Diego, like just introduced to the market at the time. And uh, I tried it and right away I was making probably twice as much as I was at my regular job on a weekend. And so to me at the time, it was a lot of money to be able to make $1,500 a week on the side. And so I basically, within six months, went from about 20 grand in debt to about 30 grand in savings. Um, you know, had a lot of trials and tribulations during that time, but I basically, uh, you know, saved every single cent. I would be working 110 plus hours a week. You know, no one heard from me for that time and um, I got it done. However, in that six months time span, might have been seven, um, the market here in San Diego had increased to where when I was, you know, I kept looking, kept looking, the prices of a three bedroom had just gone out of my reach. I could only now afford a two bedroom. So I was pissed. I was like, man, I just, in my mind, wasted this whole time saving up for something that now I can't get. Right. So I was very frustrated and ended up just saying, you know what, screw it. I'll buy a two bedroom condo. I got one roommate, which at the end of the day was, you know, I was paying about the same as I was in rent before for all that happened. So needless to say, I wasn't really happy. And keep in mind, I had zero idea about real estate investing, or that was just not on my radar. So I didn't care. I was just mad that I had worked for six months, did no racing. And I just, I, all I wanted to do was get back on my bike. So that's what I did. Got back on my bike. Um, and I uh, got my national rankings is what my dream was coming down here for. And then, um, uh, you know, a few years later, when I stumbled all dove into real estate, uh, pulling out a HELOC on this condo was actually what gave me my seed money to get started and help me buying that fourplex. Um, so in retrospect, right, I now understand why people kept saying, wow, that's so great. You're thinking ahead to your future. And, you know, inwardly, I was just pissed off. Like, what do you mean? That's so great. Like, I just wasted six months of my life. But anyways, uh, yeah. So that was my first that was my first and second purchase was really through Uber. Very cool. Are you, uh, are you still racing? Um, I'm not, no, I hung up the bike and just so had zero desire to game. touch it again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> had that, had that big identity shift. I mean, I still go out to the track once in a while just to have fun and to just keep in touch with people, but, um, definitely taking a long hiatus from the competitive national circuit for now. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, right on, man. So you, you dropped it in there that your first acquisition after the one that you were living in, it sounded like you were going into Ohio. What made you turn your uh, your attention over there before coming back to California? Um, it was just, I fell succumb to all of the internet BS about, oh, you live in California, you have to go out of state. I mean, bigger, not only bigger pockets, I don't want to, I don't want to ream on bigger pockets by any means, but just the internet in general is just filled with way too much information for me that take action it's it's tough and that was my biggest uh pain point was analysis paralysis and all of that so i you know i spent the minimal amount of time in my first stages of learning where i would just listen to one or two podcasts on any given subject and say okay like i like that or i don't right yeah. and so um you know just you know 
like cash flow goals, what I wanted. I just, I had no idea. So the first and foremost thought was just do something. I don't care what it is, bad deal, whatever, just do something. So um, with the money I pulled out from my condo uh, during the HELOC, I got $64,000 in that first line. And again, that was a ginormous amount of money for me at the time. Like I had never in my life fathomed that I would have uh, access to $64,000. My credit cards were like six grand or something. So that was a loss. I'm like, you know, my research, I'm like, okay, I can go and buy two single family homes in Ohio and that'll get me started. Right. So I went out there, you know, networked, uh, you know, met the agents, did all that thing. And, and it just didn't sit right with me. You get your gut feeling. It didn't make sense for me to pay a management fee. It didn't make sense that it was halfway across the nation. And it didn't make sense the couple hundred dollars maybe I would get in cash flow. Right. And um, so I said, you know what, let me just let me just revisit this. So I went the, you know, to leverage the FHA route and set my sights on getting a fourplex here in California. Um, then in comes the pandemic. Right. And prices just shoot through the roof and FHA offers just would not get accepted. And again, I'm a man of action. And so I got more and more anxious as time went on. Six months later, probably. I don't know how many offers, 60 to 70 offers later trying to do FHAs. And I'm, I'm placing offers on literally any fourplex that <laughs> pops up here and a five-hour drive. Like, I don't care. LA, San Diego County, Orange County, Central Valley. I did not care. And I was just getting beat up by these conventional offers, all cash. We all know the story, right? So yeah. eventually, after a lot of frustration with, again, not getting my action, not moving my steps forward, I switched from a con uh, FHA offers to conventional offers. And in hindsight, and I don't live with regrets, but if I had a hindsight, I would say, I wish I would have switched from looking at four units to only going five and up. So I could better have my valuation based on a, a NOI and a cap rate. Uh, but I didn't, you know, and uh, you know, um, I, you know, I got a fourplex in central California and I moved up there for eight months and renovated all four units, kicked everyone out by myself. I actually, we actually had to evict a tenant during escrow, which was uh, definitely added a lot of, you know, of excitement to the closing process to get that thing across the finish line. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into my first deal. Nice, man. Um, I'm going to pause it real quick uh, so we can fix a tech issue. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back. Those tech issues, they pop up every once in a while, but we roll with it. Got it fixed. Um, so we were just talking about the uh, the fourplex that you bought in California. Um, since then, you have moved on to bigger and better things. You said that originally that you wish you had started in, in five plus units. So you could use the cap rate, you could use the NOI of the property itself to qualify for, for the loans. I like that you said that because I, I think everybody should do that. Um, you know, Buying something for and under, it sounds appealing. But because uh, you only have to put what five percent down with those FHA loans, but it really is a lot easier if you can use the NOI of the property to qualify for these bigger properties. So, love that you said that. Um, once you got that four unit done, what was the next step for you guys? So my next step after that was to save up and buy another and just repeat the process. Right? Um, I was still very single track minded, very do it myself type personality. Which again, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, to your point, I do agree with you about NOI cap rate, commercial residential properties. 
uh, obviously to each their own in situations. Um, me, like myself, living in a much higher expensive market that has a lot higher entry point to get into, um, even the lowest lever or the highest leveraged loan options can still be seemingly impossible to some people that are just getting started. So after that, I was just focused on just living my life. I got pretty burned out, not going to lie. And yeah. Um, yeah, you said you did just, the renovations yourself, right? Yeah, 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 over eight months. I started started in February and ended in August, or if that timeline adds up, maybe that's six months. Uh, but yeah, you know that that um, that was sort of that was sort of uh, what I did that year. And so coming out of that, I took a chill pill for a few weeks. Very quickly, got bored and said, "Okay, well, I have no money. Um, I'm deeply in debt. I'm cash flowing pretty good. I mean, I'm I'm good." Uh, what can I do? So I was like, I'm going to flip or do a renovation or a burr on something smaller that I can just do by myself, you know, borrow money to borrow more money to then borrow the asset and what have you. Tried on a couple burned out four units and a triplex and a duplex and nothing really stuck. And then I was like, well, why don't I go to a real estate meetup? I've never been to one of those before. Why don't I start networking just for shits and giggles? And so I went to my first real estate meetup here in San Diego. And I tell you what, Gabe, within seven days, my entire perspective and and mindset shifted from going by myself and doing four units to partnering up and syndications and all that stuff. Very quick turnaround. So I immediately uh, got a few mentors um, learned all I could about the syndication space and kind of what that looks like and how to scale up and just the economics of scale. And within a few months, I was looking at a 200 unit in Indianapolis. I was looking at a 38 unit in Cincinnati um, and trying to get something under contract, which as we all know, the rates just jumped up right around that time. And so that's kind of still what I'm doing to this day is trying to get something under, well, I've had properties under contract, trying to make something stick into the finish line. Um, so that's my, that's my current focus. Cool, man. No, I, I love to hear that. Um, and it is, it's amazing what networking with other people who are out there doing it, um, what that does to your own perspective. Like you say, yeah. if you're out there, if you've only seen, you know, HGTV shows and you're doing the flips um, and you don't realize it's it, not even on your radar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is great. I mean, it's a, it's another reason why I always suggest people, you know, go to conferences, go to meetups, um, start a podcast if you want some way to go out there, talk to other investors so you can get their perspective on uh, on what they're doing. And maybe it's something that you want to add to your own your own tool belt. Um, so that's awesome that you're you're looking at bigger deals. You're thinking about syndications. Um, you put offers out there. How are you? How are you structuring it? Uh, you know, this is the first time we've talked to somebody before they've actually done the syndication. So I'm curious what where your perspective is and and uh, and what you're looking to to do on your first one. So my perspective to give you a full and complete answer is that I've joined a couple mentorships. I've learned a lot. I know for a fact I could syndicate something from A to Z right now, um, but I'm more so of a, a slow and thorough personality. I know that with the people that I've met and the partnerships I've created, I could definitely take down a two, three, four million dollar acquisition in the Midwest or something like that. But I want to, I'm, I'm more so focused on my track record right now. That is the most important thing to me, not so much the money part of it. And so if I can 
JV something a little bit smaller and prove that I can become an operator. Cause really you see all these people celebrating when they close a deal, but I just, that's when the work really starts. If you can operate the asset and turn it around, stabilize it in the quickest amount of time possible, that's something that that's, that's where the effort comes in. And so, uh, yes, I am open to syndicating something larger, but again, with my track record, which is zero and with the, uh, you know, well, it's the, not zero. I mean, you've done capital that I you've done your your small multifamily, and you have a track a positive track record. Yeah, zero. Yeah, I, I just yeah. want to you know people yeah. say they don't have any track record, <laughs> and then they have experience, and I just I like to point that out because um, you know it is a track record for someone. If you were to go to you know a GP and you want to be a co GP, and you say, hey, can I join your team? And they say, do you have experience? You don't say you don't have any experience. You say, hey, man, I've done these these quads. I've uh, I've done successful flips. Um, so I feel like that you're, you're not giving enough credit to where credit's due. So that is uh, that's something good to have on your Oh, account. that's true. I appreciate that, Gabe. And to be fair, yeah, when I am talking to a broker, I say, yeah, I've done this four unit and I, you know, I, I really can self-market and pump myself up well. Um, I guess I did just reference, I have zero experience in the five and up space, <laughs> but, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's, I'm, I'm more so focused on doing something that I can either JV myself with other people or, uh, you know, something, if it was a smaller syndication or, or um, again, just really focus on my track record first. It's now that I kind of know how the game works, it's a little bit harder for me to fathom actually finding a good deal from a broker relation that is actually worth doing. And that's kind of been my experience. And so, um, like my latest one, it was a five unit also in the central California area. The seller was originally wanting 400,000 for it. I immediately drove up there. I knew the area. Um, that's another thing I found out about myself along this journey was I really like to do business in person and be my operator mm -hmm. boots on the ground in person. So I'm giving California my best shot. I know the laws, I know all the red tape and I know how to navigate it and I'm okay with it. So let's roll. Yeah. And so I, I went up to central California to walk this five unit with the seller and it was in the worst possible physical and operational shape you can imagine. Right. Like hasn't, hasn't <laughs> been touched. Yeah. Hasn't literally hasn't been touched in 30 years. Um, like it was, it was just a complete mess. And so I said, this is perfect. Like this is exactly what I want. And so got to talking with the seller and got to know his situation a little bit. And I knew for a fact there was no way anyone would be paying $400,000 for this five unit building. And so I gave him two options. I said, I know that you really want your price. I'll do $400,000 at a 4%, 100% seller carry for 36 months. And Perfect. those terms would allow me to stabilize and exit on the exit I needed in order to pay him and just keep everybody happy. Um, and then I gave him the second offer. I said, or... I can just do it. I can just cash you out and just conventional finance you at $302,000. Right. Um, and he countered me at 338 for uh, just a full cash out. I couldn't make that happen. And even if I could, I, I wouldn't want to. Um, it was just between all the aspects and the whole package of the deal, it was still a little bit too risky. So I countered him again at 312. Um, and it went under contract the other the other day for 325. So uh, I asked the broker, I said, Hey, did the, did the, cause it's already fallen out of escrow twice. And I asked him, I said, Hey, did the, did the buyers that went into contract, did they actually come up and physically walk the property? Like, do they know X, Y, Z? He's like, no, no. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens. <laughs> 
but you know, that's just, that's just the environment we're in. We got to get creative. We have to really see what the pain point is for the sellers and see if we can meet that. And, you know, the price is kind of the least important part of the deal. I mean, the terms are way more important. Um, so, you know, that's something to definitely keep in mind. Cool, man. Yeah, I uh, I always put it put out seller financing. Um, in fact, the majority of the deals that I've done up to this point have been seller finance, just because you know it is great on both sides. And so whenever I you know whenever I put yeah. an offer out there, I always throw out, hey, we can also do this at seller with these seller financing terms. We can exceed the 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 price that you're asking um, if you give us good terms. So love that you did that. Yeah. Um, and it's. Uh, it's cool that you're staying in California. I know, you know, a lot of people, if they're in the higher price point markets like Seattle, like San Diego, um, they feel like they need to get out of there. But man, if there's real estate there, you can do deals. So that's uh, that's great that you're sticking around home. Um, it is. We just went through the the time, so it is time to go to the quick question round. Are you ready? Ah, uh, let's fire away. All right, let's do it. Starts with books or any form of education. Give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom, and then one for real estate specific. Untethered Soul by Michael Singer for general life wisdom. Uh, for real estate, I would say The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. I uh, I haven't read that. I've heard it's actually good. Um, I, just, <laughs> I can't get over the way Trump talks, but um, but I'm sure his book has some good wisdom. Yeah, whether, whether you're a... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm a Trump fan per se, but you can't deny the man knows business and real estate. Uh, yep, but sure. all the other present day issues aside. <laughs> all right, next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Peter who was just hopping on on his first BMX bike. Um, go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. One piece of advice that I would say moving forward is to have more courage in yourself, listen to your gut a little bit more, and don't beat yourself up over the small things. There you go. Love it. All right. Next question is about the US. It's a big place, a lot of opportunity. Give me the single city you're most excited about investing in today. San Diego. Hands down. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait until I can buy more real estate here in San Diego for a variety of reasons. It may not be multifamily. It may be boutique hotels. It may be uh, office space or other commodities. But um, between the landlocked sort of bubble that San Diego's in and the massive, massive amounts of opportunity and growth that it has, I'm, I'm very bullish on San Diego and can't wait to see what the next 10, 20 years does to this market. There you go, San Diego. Is there a specific area in San Diego that you like, or is it just the entire city? Yeah, the entire city. It would kind of depend. I mean, I see because I'm out here in East County and I'm always looking at the multifamily out in East County, which is very, very attractive. Again, the red tape here makes it hard for like short term plays. Um, so it depends on your investing strategy. And if you're really into the boutique hotel space, um, Little Italy and downtown San Diego, Pacific Beach, those are all huge value add development plays that the, our blessed governor is giving investors like myself a lot more leeway with. And so that's a that's a huge power play um, for if that's your if that's your investment strategy. Cool. All right. Everybody is given a gift that they uniquely provide this world. So what is your Superman strength? My Superman strength, I would say, is being able to relate to an individual on their journey and where they're at in a way so that I can actually give them 
something that can help them move forward. And you, you always get a lot of these cliche sayings, a lot of these, I, you know, just all these, all this BS stuff that doesn't really work. And most of it doesn't work is because it's not relatable to that person. You really have to listen to someone. And, um, you know, all the real estate meetups that I go to, all of my friends, colleagues, mentors, people that follow me, uh, being able to answer their question in depth, give a deep answer other than a cliche two-second answer, um, I, I find a lot of joy in that. Nice being able to connect with people. That is definitely a, uh, a Superman strength. Um, next question is about finding deals. It all starts with uh, connecting with the seller. So what is your favorite way to find good deals? Call them. <laughs> Call the seller and try to get them on the phone. I like to start with a skip tracing service um, or a skip tracing platform. Not to actually use the skip tracing services in the sense of mass emails or mailers or cold calls, automated, things like that. I basically use that to get an initial starting list which I then go through and either add or take away by driving past the actual properties to see, okay, like these properties I want to call on, these ones look pretty stabilized and they just traded hands in the last two to three years. So maybe I'll save those for when I'm bored on a rainy day. Um, but that way it kind of gives me a jump start on having the best of both worlds, the in-person communications and the powers of a skip tracing service to get that database, that large database right away and, and upfront. Um, so that's kind of my method that I've been using. All there also uh, more reason to be in market, be your own boots on the ground so that you can be physically driving past these properties. It's, it's, that's huge. Yeah, for sure. What uh, what skip tracer do you use? Um, so I use Reonomy. Um, Reonomy and Google Maps. Um, those are my two, my two main ways to um, either get that initial list or I just love to surf through Google Maps. There's also another app that's called uh, Gia or Gaia, G-A-I-A -A, uh, GPS. It's uh, more of a, a hiking, outdoorsy kind of all-in-one uh, app, but you can purchase a map layer, which is a private lands map layer, and it'll show the owner's information on the parcel over a satellite view. So while you're cruising through, uh, you know, searching through the streets, you can say, okay, well, that house has four AC units on it. That's a fourplex. And right there you have the owner's information. So then you then can save that step of going to your tax assessor's website to look it up. Uh, so that's probably one of my favorite apps to use. Um, and that can really, um, that can really speed up your list building process. So you can get to the good stuff quicker. Cool. Uh, which, what was the app's name again? Gaia, you said? Uh, I pronounce it Gaia, G-A-I-A. Gaia. It, it is a, you do have to pay it. I think it's about a $50 a year subscription. And then the map layer is probably another $7 one-time fee. Uh, well worth it. Cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a good tool to have. All right. That leads us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you, maybe uh, do a deal with you down there in San Diego. So what is the best way for people to get in contact with you? I would say, uh, text me, shoot, call me, text me 707-489-6236. That's my direct number. And if you spam me, don't worry, I'll block you. Uh, that's pretty easy to do these days. Uh, Instagram is the next best way if you want to keep up with what I'm doing. And my handle is simply my first name, last name. So at Peter Eberhardt. Cool. And that is Peter spelled as you'd think, P-E-T-E-R and Eberhardt is E-B-E-R-H-A-R-D-T. Um, you got so, it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I will put that link in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to Peter, just go ahead and click a little more in the description. It'll pull down that full description in there. You can find his link. 
All right, man, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for having on the show. Absolutely, Gabe. Appreciate it. Go ahead and crush your Friday. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe, at realestateinvestingclub.com. If you guys want to support the show, all we ask, like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, click on the invest with us button. That'll pop up the investor form, fill that out, and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.